Well, I'm not going to lie. Last week I was driving through the bush in northwest Ontario, and believe it or not, there were still little pockets of snow in the woods. And I thought, is summer ever going to get to us? But here we are, back home in Minnesota, and the sun is shining. We've got temps in the 70, and summer is well on its way. And you know what that means. It's time to camp. Hey there. Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. Along with me today is a guy you know, but you don't know podcast every week happens because we've got all this high-tech electronic gear and computers and there's a guy behind the big board um, and his nickname is the Swiss Army Knife of the audio world. Uh, yeah, something like that, yes. Brandon Morton is our engineer on the podcast, but we chuckled on this topic about camping because so often... You'll be setting up for the podcast, and we're trading tales about, oh, I was headed here. I was going here to check that out. So it makes sense that you and I chat just a little bit today about camping. Well, and I get to soak in more of your camping knowledge, too. So this is like a (laughs) win-win. It's a win-win-win on days like this. You know, so really, there was snow in Ontario, which baffled me, Um, you know, at the end of May, start of June, but... Back home, um, we live west of the Twin Cities, and after sports, my youngest son, Bennett, who loves to camp, you know, when COVID hit, he and his brother were out for 147 nights during the year, what, 2020, when COVID hit and everything shut down. They took a wall tent out to the back of the prairie and set up with a wood stove and stayed out all winter. Like, it was just unbelievable. That's right? that's the ultimate way to spend COVID. You're away from everybody, and you're out in wilderness. It was amazing. And it's funny because eventually our good friend Dan Cook, who's in the camping gear business, Cook Custom Sewing, just iconic backpacks, and he made a deal with the boys. They did a horse trade. They'd teach him how to fly fish, and he would sew them a tent of their design. So they drew up a wall tent and that was what they spent much of the trip in. But now we use that tent, and people say, oh, man, how old is that thing? God, you know, it looks like it's from the 50s, and you say, well, it's a year and a half old, but it was outside for half a year. Right. right. It's been used more than 15 <laughs> years' worth for the average person. For the average show. But anyhow, so Bennett Shirk and I, um, just a couple days ago, we drove through Baker Park's campground. It's a great regional park system here. Um, west of the Twin Cities, and we drove through, you know, Loop G and Loop I and Loop J, and there were just tents of every color, shape, and size, and beach towels hanging from trees and RVs and picnic tables. Yep, picnic tables and, you know, beanbag toss and just, and I looked and said, are there a thousand people here? I said, I don't know, but maybe like 500. And it led to a longer conversation with us about how people camp and why they camp. 
As a family, we don't choose to camp in those mass settings. So, so it was a little different for Bennett. Kind of like, interesting. Kids riding bicycles, people walking dogs, you know, just. And I said, look, this is what it's about. Families are outdoors. They're sleeping under the stars. In some cases, RVs with satellite <laughs> dishes and air conditioning units. And, but people are getting outdoors and they're doing it. And it, So we started talking about how I, the Shirk family camps and why. And somebody said, that would be a great topic. Because we live in the land of 10,000 lakes, Minnesota, and it is so diverse, and there's so many ways you can get outdoors and sleep outdoors, and I thought we'd talk about them today. What do you think? I think that's awesome. It's it's the perfect time of year for, like you said, everybody's starting to get camping. I'm looking into schedule camping now, so it's the perfect time to do it. Where was the last place you camped? The last place I camped, I think, I want to say, uh, geez, it was probably Whitewater. It's probably Whitewater State Park. Brilliant. Great place to yeah, be, right? Yeah, it's, it's awesome. And then it's a great, like, secret one to go to because, you know, it's full and stuff on some of the weekends. But if you go during the week, there's yep. not a soul there. So it's perfect. Yep. And we're going to talk today a little bit about, even in a place like Whitewater, how you can get away from the crowds and feel like you're the only person on the planet which is widely how I'm wired when it comes to camping. For me, it's not just about getting outdoors. It's about being in a place that is quiet, not surrounded by RVs and, you know, music playing. and People arguing in the middle of the night. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, all right, funny story. (laughs) (laughs) So last summer... From Minnesota Bound, we went out to Beaver Creek Valley State Park to do a highlight piece on that park. And we were there midweek, and photojournalist Aaron Ochtenberg, he and I were out there together, and it was a quick in-and-out shoot. But it was one of those 90-degree, sweaty, just high-humidity days, and I was going to sleep in the back of my truck. Could not get any sort of air moving through the truck, so it was hot. It was sticky, and I couldn't fall asleep because here we are, and there's really, there there weren't that many people in the campground that night, but at 10 o'clock, this car come through in the headlights, and then you'd kind of lay there for a while, and you'd start to drift off, and then this car would come back, and then there was yelling, this woman yelling and screaming, and suddenly there was a flashlight like coming at and this it's a long story by morning after one of the longest nights I've spent in the woods in a long time we realized there was a BMW bike group <laughs> visiting <laughs> sure, okay? sure. Yep. and it's a bunch of retired people who have BMW motorcycles and the club travels around in the camp well it turns out one of those bikers has a very jealous wife who thinks every time he goes away on these trips, he's going off with some gal. So she shows up and pitches a fit trying to, so she's yelling and screaming on the phone about where in the bleep is he. And so you're half asleep and the stuff's in your mind. So there you go. Arguments in. Yeah. No, I I had a solo camping trip ruined by that, that almost exact thing. (sighs) Good (laughs) So anyhow, 
I started camping at a very young age. My family, of course, I was born in Canada. They had a place on the Ottawa River at a logging town called Fort Collange. And when they moved to Minnesota, they wanted a place in the woods. So we were going to Gull Lake. My sister was in like the Girl Scouts and the Bluebirds. And I can remember being a little tyke camping, kind of the family style at the regional parks. Oh, yeah. That whole thing. Eventually, I got into Scouts. Um, had a great scoutmaster, True 570, Phil Ziedlow, who taught us what I feel is kind of the right way, meaning getting off the grid, camping on private property, uh, away from the crowds, remote spots. And so that somehow got wired into me. And I've always chased that. Um, Maybe it reflects a little bit in some of the stories we do for Minnesota Bound. Um, but let's do this. Let's let's talk about a couple of sponsors real quick, and then I want to come back and run through a list of like four easy access points in this state to camp. Looking forward to it. All right. I'm Bill Shirk, the man about the woods, and this is the Minnesota Bound podcast. Uh this project doesn't happen without a lot of great sponsors. And this week, I'd like to thank our newest. I'm super excited about this one, the Minnesota Historical Society. Uh, we have now partnered with those folks. Um, you know, right now, you can go out and visit Historic Fort Snelling, Minnesota's first national historic landmark, which is reopening right now. Uh, I think the official opening date was May 28th. They've been doing two years of restoration out there. This is a place where waters, people, and ideas have come together for literally thousands of years. If you know where Fort Snelling sits, it's right at the conjunction of our main rivers here. You know, you can hear many of the stories told by many voices and learn more about how lives and history intersect. Whether revisiting your favorite parts of history or learning something new, Fort Snelling is waiting for you. Visit Historic Fort Snelling. You can learn more, by the way, at mnhs.org slash Fort Snelling. Also, we would like to thank our good friends at Starbank. Hi there, Ron Shera here for Starbank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Starbank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Starbank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. Starbank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that Starbank has to offer at starbank.net. And also a big shout out to Hewitt Docks. Hewitt Docks Lifts and Pontoon Legs began in a small south-central Minnesota town with a mission to make dock install and removal easier by inventing the roller dock. Well, now the company has evolved to provide everything you might need to improve your lake time. In addition to the classic roller dock or the new ultra dock system, Hewitt offers all-terrain staircases, gangways, canopies, and lifts, along with any accessory you might need. Celebrate 50 years of business with us. 
Go to HewittRad.com to enter for a chance to win a free dock and monthly prizes. Hewitt Docks, lifts and pontoon legs. Work hard, play harder. You deserve a Hewitt. All right. Our topic today is camping. Um, it's always been a science for me. Growing up, I was in survival courses through scouts. I did all the survival challenge stuff. No, I wasn't naked, nor was I terribly afraid. <laughs> there were some moments early in the survival stuff where you'd be in your shelter in the dark woods. Um, I did a project where they, they'd hike you out and just dump you. You had no idea where you were, and they'd say, when we come back, you're ready to show us 10 edibles. But you didn't know if they were coming back in two hours or two days or whatever it was. But I can remember that first night. The woods were just still, no wind, and you could hear critters off here and there, and I'm laying in the leaves in my shelter and just didn't sleep a wink. So maybe I was a little <laughs> afraid that night. But You, you were know. clothed and afraid. Yes, I was. <laughs> thank goodness. Oh, man. But, uh, you know, there are so many outlets for camping here in the state, and some of them are maybe not so obvious, Right. Probably the first spot people look is our state park system. We have 75 state parks spread out throughout the state. And it's simple to go online, go to the website, read about the park. Almost every single one of them have camping resources. But my challenge to you is look past the loops in the family campgrounds, right? There are non-electric sites and electric sites. In the case of Whitewater, which you mentioned earlier, crying out loud, there are like 300 sites down there. Mm -hmm. That place can get busy. But if you go, I always do the Cardin sites or the walk-in sites. Exactly. Yep. Which a lot of people don't book because they take a little bit of work. So that was one of the things we're going to talk about today. So at Whitewater and especially before the floods, their cart-in sites were on the opposite side of the river from where everyone else stays. So you hike 200 yards back in the woods, tucked in against a bluff. Um, during summer, when the leaves are out, foliage is good, you're alone out there. It's just you and the sound of the Whitewater River, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and so few people choose that option, too. Even when it's, it's semi-full, you don't hear any people, but there's almost nobody out in those sites. It just takes a little cart. Yep. They give you a cart and everything waiting, and you just push all of your equipment there. It's a gardener's cart with most of them have bicycle tires, so you can get plenty of gear. Now, if you are a conventional car camper and you have, you know, an SUV full, it's going to be a little more difficult. But sometimes the journey is worth the effort. The state also offers these remote walk-in sites or hike-in sites where you can hike darn near a mile to get back to the campsites. Again, another opportunity to camp, be in a state park, and be away from the crowds. Yeah, the walk-in sites are some of my favorites. Uh, Glacial Lakes was the first time I ever did a walk-in site. I'm kind of from the prairie area out there. I'm from Wilmer, a little little ways away, but... Um, it's it's just amazing. We chose a furthest site. It was like our first time doing one. Furthest yep. site away. Um, it was a beautiful walk through the prairies. A bigger workout than one would expect from the prairies. Um, but it was beautiful. It was awesome. I I've, I don't know. It got me hooked on the walk-in sites in Minnesota. So 
I would highly recommend checking him out. I shouldn't share this story, but I will. Um, I started dating a girl, Katie Becker, and she agreed to go camping. We were at Cascade, and we were set up at one of the remote hike-in camps. It's an odd little one that's pinched between Highway 61 and Lake Superior, but you're far enough away from the highway and below it where you're just out. And she and a couple of friends were coming to meet us, and they just didn't show up. Got a message. They were close, but they never got to us. And this was a long time ago. She and her buddy, you know, each had an arm case of Coors Light with a backpack and had no idea. So they were up in the hills on the hiking trails two miles away from us down below carrying around beer. And I knew at that point that I was probably going to marry her, which I did. (laughs) (laughs) But we still giggle about that story some 20 years ago. Oh, man. Um, All right. So the state parks, yes, you can get online. Great resource. Um, Look at those walk-in sites, the remote sites. Again, most of the parks that have those also offer carts. I've seen people who will bring a wheelbarrow if there is not a cart for the walk-in sites to use that a little bit cheating but yeah, whatever the, works the, the further off ones the backpack sites i think they're designated on the website if you want to look at that yeah yep. plenty a of places great resource mm-hmm. uh the second and this is one of my favorites are our state forests now up until very recently if you would go online and read about minnesota state forests all the verbiage led you to think Camping was illegal. But if you go all the way down to the bottom in tiny 78 number font, there was this little blurb that says, but if you do decide to camp, you know, be responsible. So camping on state forest land is legal in this state. Many of the state forests have designated campgrounds or campsites. And there's one little rule that says, Dispersed camping cannot be any closer than one mile from those designated sites. But for the most part, if you can find a state forest on the map and you can find a spot in the woods with access, you're allowed to go set up a camp. Can you camp anywhere, anywhere? Pretty much anywhere, anywhere. Again, the only stipulation, you can't legally be within one mile, you know, if the whatever, the door State Forest has a designated campsite off kind of road 36. You can't go a quarter mile down the road and sneak in. Sure. You know, technically they can come after you. I've never seen that happen, but just get away, be responsible, low impact camping. Don't dig fire pits. Don't throw beer bottles in the woods. You know, take your garbage out with you, leave it better than you found it. And that for me has always been an amazing resource. I, I have spots on trout streams in southeastern Minnesota where you look at the maps and there are these little random pockets of state forest. And if you can legally get to them, you're allowed to camp. See, that's that's one thing I've always been curious about and I've always been kind of confused about because I've read about dispersed camping but was confused by the verbiage. And I know there were designated sites, but I always read the designated sites were heavily used if, if that's they a, are if for that's sure. a word to use for it especially when you come like on a monday or tuesday the weekend 
you're going to see the fact that the campsite was used. And that's, Brandon, maybe that's, sorry, Swiss Army, maybe that's why <laughs> I have always been wired to find a way to get away from all that. Right. Be alone. Now, State Forest Campground, or excuse me, State Forest Camping, you're not going to have a toilet. You're not going to have a shower. Those are all things you need to figure out and do responsibly, right? But but it changes the game, and that's how I like to camp. So that's a win for me. All right. Um, I have to mark that one down because, like I said, I've always been curious, but I didn't know it was as simple as that. It's that simple. That's awesome. The other one that maybe seems too obvious is private land. You have plat maps online now for the counties. You've got the Onyx hunting app, which tells you whose property is. Here's how to reach them. Forever. I have found all these areas. I say, oh, my gosh, that's beautiful. I'd love to camp there. You do a little legwork, a little research, and you make contact with the landowner, and you ask nine times out of ten, they say yes. Wow. I'm actually amazed to hear that. It doesn't matter if it's a farm down in Juan County or something in Trout Country or the North Woods. If you ask and you explain, it's amazing how nice people are. And they're willing. I've had, I remember one time up north I was looking and, of course, they didn't know who I was. And they said, no, fire danger is pretty high. You know, we wouldn't want anyone back in the woods, you know, starting a fire or something like that. You have to be respectful of those sorts of things. But if I get permission, I always make sure I clean it. Even if I'm finding garbage in the ditch along the road, like I'm picking that stuff up on the way out. And that's a big lesson for the Shirk Boys, too. Leave it better than you found it, which is an old camping cliche. Number two, I always write a thank you note with whatever, a bag of wild rice or a bottle of maple syrup. and Just say thanks. Make a gesture like you don't understand how much I appreciate the opportunity to throw up my little two-man tent back in the woods. Right. Um, that goes a long ways. And some of those relationships I've had for, I don't know, 25, 30 years. So you can go back and... And I don't go back often, right? Sometimes it's five, six, seven years, but I'll call the family. And last time one of them I can't remember said, oh, well, you know, we've got some family down there that weekend, but I think they're only staying on Thursday. So if you're going to, you know, it's just wonderful. But most people won't do that because it takes effort. And they want to hide behind their computer instead of going and shaking a stranger's hand and kicking up conversation, right? So just go through that. I feel like you're talking directly to me. I'm talking right into <laughs> right your into soul, soul, Swiss yeah, yeah. Army. No, I, I totally understand that the apprehension behind it, but really, it, in life in general, it doesn't hurt to ask. The worst that can happen is you hear no. Right, right. And there are different rules in different states. You know, if if land's not posted, you're allowed to go on. I would, that's, I'm not going to do that. I'm always going to make contact. I'm always going to talk to folks and, yeah doesn't jive with what we see in the news every day, but the world is full of great people, you know? it's So that's another one. Um, another one that's really intriguing to me right now, everyone's heard of car camping. 
Yeah. Car camping, which is a phrase means stuff all your junk into the car, head to a campsite, dump it all out of the back, set it all up and camp. But now there's this hip little movement, truck camping. And it's real and it's legit because if you go to YouTube and start following the truck campers, there are these people with pickups that go to Walmart, buy a little bit of food, and then they drive out on a dirt road and they set up and it rains that night and they kind of document and they sleep in the back of their truck. And they've got 20 million views. Sure. Yeah, everybody's got a tricked out vehicle these days for it. Some of them are carpenters. Yep. So in the bed of the pickup, they make a little shelving system and... On this side, you can walk through. On this side is a bed with gear stored underneath and pulls out, and there's a stove behind the pickup truck. You know, it's. And if you think about that, the game changes because essentially anywhere you can drive your vehicle and legally park, you can kind of camp. Sure. BLM land, anything like that. So. It's interesting you bring that up, right? Here in the Midwest, we don't have that much public property. We've got state forests. We've got national forests. We've got Pheasants Forever projects, some of that stuff, but they're small chunks. You go to the West, BLM land runs 100,000 acres. It's amazing. Right? Um, So I'm intrigued by this truck camping thing, and I'm not official about it. You know, I've had pickup trucks in the past. I am now back into one after waiting a year to get my chips <laughs> for my truck. But that's another podcast for another day. <laughs> but I'm so excited to sleep in the back of the pickup and take the boys and throw their sleeping bags in there and ride out a storm. It's the very first Minnesota-bound story that Brady Shirk, my oldest, was ever part of was the fishing opener back when... We had the late ice. We had to cancel our trip up north, so we ended up on, I think it was called Artichoke Lake out in western Minnesota. And I had a brand new, sorry, Mountain Hardware. It's your fault, not mine. (laughs) Brand new Mountain Hardware ultralight tent. And I am very serious about my tents. Like, shelter is one of the three things we need to survive. Food, water, shelter, right? So I wanted shelter that can handle We had these high winds, and this little ultralight mountain hardware thing kept folding down on itself. Meanwhile, I had borrowed one of my North Face tents to friends of ours who were also on this fishing opener trip. It's raining. They're all huddled up just comfortably in this blue North Face, and my brand-new mountain hardware is just flat. So Brady and I ended up sleeping in the back of my Jeep that night. Um, which was awesome. Big sunroof. He was a short guy, so he fit. And we looked at the storm and the stars. And so there's a little part of us that kind of digs that, going to park in a spot and just sleep. One of my first memories of camping when I was a kid is we got all the kids in a car. I think there's three or four of us kids in the car or whatever. We went uh, down to the Ozarks in a station wagon. We had two separate (laughs) tents. We had one tent for food, one tent for sleeping in, basically. Very amateur camping setup, as I know more now in life. Very amateur. But we uh, 
uh, in the middle of the night, there was a big, huge storm. It's the Ozarks. This big, huge, top-heavy tents just blowing around. So we all had to huddle in the station wagon and sleep in there the night. It was miserable, but it was very memorable as a kid just because, I don't know, it's, it was a great introduction to, like, part of camping sometimes is those stories that, like, the worst parts about camping are the best parts of the story. Mm-hmm. So it ended up being like that. It, it taught me that little lesson. And then on a side note, that food tent, which is a terrible, terrible idea. Uh, everything was bitten into and eaten by whatever got in there, squirrels, anything. So, yeah, terrible idea. <laughs> we're, we're like living parallel lives. <laughs> After uh, we talk about a few sponsors here, on our list is a couple of the gnarly moments. The worst camping moments, which always make for the best stories, right? Oh, yeah, I've got a few. Plus, a couple of key pieces of gear. We're not going to try to get everyone geared up, but I get asked a lot about the most important gear, and I've got a list of three or four things and the why. So we'll talk about that. Cool? Perfect. Awesome. Hey, thanks for uh, tuning in. Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. This is the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories, and today we are talking about camping. But you know what? It's time to pay a few bills. And one of them is all about clean water, Connecticut, my good friends at Connecticut. The Shirk family, we love Connecticut water, right? We live out in the country, and we've got that well water. But our Connecticut whole home water treatment system takes care of all the issues. We also use Connecticut's K5 drinking water system. You know that buildup you get around the faucets, that white powdery stuff? We get none of that. The dishes look clean. Katie loves what Connecticut does for her hair and her skin. And the boys, they both drink Connecticut water. Can't beat that. And I will say I'm getting ready to put in a new Connecticut system next week at the cabin. It's like Christmas. It's silly, but uh, that's how excited I get about clean water. Connecticut has done that. Um, If you want great tasting water with no foul smell, Call Connecticut like the shirts did and look forward to clean, safe water. Also, we want to thank the Minnesota Propane Association. Reducing carbon emissions is good for everyone, but how do we reduce emissions while also meeting our world's increasing energy needs? Using propane is an excellent way to reduce emissions while meeting energy needs today. Propane is a clean, non-toxic energy source that helps reduce carbon emissions right now. In fact, propane's carbon intensity score in Minnesota is only 80. Grid electricity in Minnesota, including wind and solar, has a much higher carbon intensity score of 136. Who knew that using propane was much cleaner than electricity? Plus, the abundance of propane and growth of renewable propane means it can be used for generations to come. Millions of Americans rely on propane to heat their homes and businesses, fuel vehicles on-road and off, and much more, making propane the right energy right now. Find out more about what propane can do for you and the environment by going to propane.com. And who could forget one of the best parts of camping? All the great snacks, which is why we'd like to thank Oreo and Ritz. Hey there, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. You know, today is a day for adventure, and Cub has all the Nabisco snacks you need to make sure that adventure is delicious from start to finish. Life is just sweeter when you share Oreo cookies on the trail. Also, when you crunch Ritz crackers at the campsite or rock the boat with rich cheese crispers. Stop a cub on the way to your adventure. The great outdoors is calling. Be sure you bring the snacks. All right. 
Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. We're talking a little bit about a few camping resources here in Minnesota. I hope um, that maybe it's given you a few ideas about how to get outdoors and get off the grid a little bit. Um, gear. Swiss Army, you talked about um, the trip to the Ozarks and the tent <laughs> stuffed yeah. full of food <laughs> and the storm and shelter, right? And survival. Those are one of. That is one of the three main things, shelter, food, water. And shelter isn't just tents. No. Clothing is included in shelter. So I try to um, spend a little bit of money on great clothing and great tents because I think you tend to get what you pay for, right? Yes. Uh, it's funny, that mountain hardware tent I talked about earlier. They're a great brand. They make great outdoor gear, but that was a very ultra light backpacking tent, not necessarily built for a Midwestern tsunami, right? Like, I mean, it was like borderline derecho type <laughs> weather that night. Trees were falling in the woods and all that, and that tent just wasn't built for it. But I actually learned from that. I said, no, it doesn't matter if it's high tech. It's got to be focused on what you're going to use it for. So, one of the things I do is I always have a really good tent. Sturdy, breathes well, is stout, rated for wind, um, weather. You know, I don't use four-season tents per se because around here that gets pretty hot during really the summer hot. months. Yeah, really I, hot. I like ventilation. Um, but if I can have a tent with netting that has a good pole system and I know it's going to stand up to wind, um, that tent's going to survive in our sorts of storms here. So that's big on my list, right? Also sleeping bags. You can, if you want a sleeping bag, you can go on to Amazon or you can go to target and you can spend 30 bucks and buy something, but we spend a good chunk of our lives sleeping. It's important that we do so. And it's the same when you're in the woods, maybe even more so because for a lot of people, they're out of their natural element. Being in the woods is uncomfortable or unnerving at times. So I want a really, really good sleep system. For me, it's all about temperatures, right? I'm not going to use a zero-degree sleeping bag during, you know, in June summer, in yeah. Minnesota. That doesn't work. Um, and just the opposite of that, during the winter, I'm not going to throw a 40-degree bag, and I've got a really good winter sleep system. And, again, you get what you pay for. Um, so look at a decent sleeping bag. And one little one little note about me. What's that? My one little frizzy sort of fluky piece of gear, I like to have a good pillow. I do too, actually. <laughs> I, I've tried several different types to find the right one, but I, I like to have a nice pillow too. Some, something that's inflatable can work for you. There's a, yeah, there's there's several different ones, yep. but yep. Some I, of those old plastic inflatable things, you'd wake up when I'm stuck to your yeah. face, you know, and felt like you had summer. But I've been known to pack a standard pillow into a stuff sack and it wants to blow, right? But I will go through that trouble to pack it down and have that one piece of frivolous gear. Um, Nemo makes a great um, inflatable pillow now that, feels sort of legit and is soft and 
Yeah, no, that that's an absolute must for me. I don't want to wake up in the morning before hiking with a sore neck or a sore back. That's I think that's more than a necessity to me. I don't know if that's frivolous. So, sure, you could roll up your sweatshirt, but yeah, that's, that's the old. That's terrible. That's the way the cowboys used to do it. But so yeah, a pillow. There you go. <laughs> uh, the other thing for me um, that has always been important is good light at night. $5 headlamps from the local hardware. Don't get it done. Nope. But if you spend 50 or $75 on a little higher-end headlamp, the amount of light you've got, um, and f- some of it, yes, is for the way I use it. Um, I need good light. I can I can remember a trip a couple years back. Um, we decided to hike out of the Boundary Waters during a winter camping trip at one in the morning not because we were in some sort of trouble or something but we actually needed to get out because we needed to be on another shoot the next day so it just made sense we were kind of done with what we needed but i hiked out on clearwater lake with photographer nick clausen in a snowstorm and nick was freaked like you have no idea where you're going how are we going to get five miles and we were on a lake with bluffs on both sides. As long as you walked to the end, you were going to be okay, right? But having that good, clean light flickering with that snow coming down, it was, but it's important. So I like a good headlamp. It's very important. I once went on a random, it was kind of a hike into the mountains in Colorado. It was one near a water reservoir. We heard there's this little like, cabin up in the mountains. If you can find the cabin, you can stay there overnight. It's Ooh, free. They, I like there's the water and stuff. And it wasn't too far off the beaten path. So we were very amateur. I was 18. It was my first ever real trip, like, but, you know, with a friend. And uh, we hiked up the mountain. We found the cabin. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous. But we didn't think to bring, like, a legit flashlight or legit charged batteries on, those, on that flashlight. Yep. We get up there. All sorts of crazy stuff starts happening at the cabin. Wild animals. We're like, hmm. We saw some bear prints. Probably, you know what? It was an easy hike up. We'll just we'll follow the trail down. It's easy. Follow the river. The flashlight died, and all we had left was my video camera light. And oh, this was a, this is one of those you know late or late nineties, early two thousands video cameras. So it got maybe ten feet in front of you. We hiked down the mountain that night. The worst, most scary experience. I would not recommend ever. But ever since then, I've I've got so many like high tech, expensive, fly, uh, fancy mm-hmm. flashlights because I never want to be left without a light. It is amazing how many people now count on their smartphones. And the light as that's the worst. There means it's unbelievable to me. It's ridiculous. And and another cool thing about lights that I'll even throw in there is some of the more not more expensive, but even you know, seventy dollar range or whatever will have a cool thing of a red light or a green light function. And if you're like preparing food or something like that, the red light function, uh the bugs aren't as attracted to you. It just helps out so much. You can still see everything that you need to see, but you're not being attacked by these bugs coming towards your headlamp every five seconds. So I think we just came up with a new mantra or new rules for camping. If you're planning a trip and your camping mate or mates have either a smartphone (laughs) or a video camera, (laughs) cancel the trip and run. They're gone. Yeah, yeah. That's. I think that's very good. Yeah, it, it's it's funny, but it is that important. And technology has come so far. Oh, yeah. Just even the past five years in flashlights, 
you can get ones that throw so far and so much light. So yep. if you ever get lost, you'll be able to see plenty far ahead of you. The animals, will see, you'll see everything in front of you. Maybe another mantra, if the guy who sells sham wilds on TV <laughs> is selling a flashlight, skip it. I, I agree. If you see it like on the way out in a supermarket or a, a store, <laughs> skip those ones completely. Oh, that's funny. I, I laugh. I'm, I'm being a little facetious because... Most of my camping gear early in my career came from two different stores. Um, one around here was called the United Store, and they had some surplus-type stuff, and so I'd save money for that. But there was another store around here called Banks, and Banks was full of gear like, I don't know, a shop in Maryland would burn down, and they'd pull out, 100 pairs of shoes that were smoke damaged. Oh, we'll send them to banks, and banks can sell them. So my first backpack, frame pack, came from banks. and I looked so forward to going into that store to find my early camping gear. And it's been hard. It's kind of like a cheerleader having to throw away pom-poms yeah, one day. Yeah. Getting rid of some of that old gear has been very traumatic for me. See, that sounds like my type of store. Uh, perfect. Banks. Yeah. Smoke damaged. Perfect. All right. Before we wrap this thing up, um, we do need to talk about a couple of misery moments in the woods. And you've kind of hit on a couple. Yeah. Yeah. The, the first time I went camping on the, on the prairies even was kind of miserable because the sun beats down on the prairies. There's no protection. There's no trees or anything there. So I learned a harsh lesson there about sunscreen, having to run enough water. And then it rains super hard every once in a while there, too. <laughs> So your tents will get flooded if you don't have a proper tent, if you buy one off of Craigslist from somebody that swears it's been freshly sealed. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It never works that way. <laughs> it's never that By way. By the way, I'm that guy selling yeah, that gear. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, I can remember being in the Boundary Waters one time. So every summer, our scout troop, an epic, epic trip, and I think I've talked about it in the podcast before, we would start on bikes in Duluth. There's a little visitor's hut along the Lester River, and we would unload our bikes from trailers. And over the next three days, we would ride all the way up the North Shore, all the way up the Gunflint Trail to Round Lake and Tuscarora Outfitters. Trailers would meet us there, take our bikes, give us canoes, and we'd paddle, and that trailer system would meet us at the end of Snowbank over on the Ely side, and we'd go home. Grueling trips at time. I never swam in the Boundary Waters till. I was almost graduated from high school because we would paddle, 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 paddle to make our deadlines on those trips. But I can remember one of those nights, and this is going to sound so stupid. (laughs) It was Disappointment Lake. It was our last lake, and we paddle in. We're fried. We're nuked. We just want an A&W rip beer and a candy bar, right? And we pull into the campsite, and there's a note. I can picture it like it was yesterday written on birch bark on the fire grate with a blue ballpoint ink pen warning visitors in camp and poison ivy oh no and all of a sudden we start looking around and there are just little bits of wrappers and you know fruit roll-ups and like they had obviously had massive issues with bears because 
there was garbage strewn everywhere. And you could tell they had tried to clean it up, but it was an impossible task. And then what we, we realized, it was all surrounded by this, you know, field of bad dreams, poison ivy. The entire thing was poison ivy. It was the last sight on the lake. So now you think you're done, but now you have to hop back into the canoes. You got to figure out where you're going on the next lake after what the portage is going to look like. Like one of my worst moments as a teen in the woods, I'm pretty sure I stomped. I can't imagine. That sounds terrible. I fortunately never ran into any poison ivy in my journeys, oh. but I hear it's, it's bad. We'll save it for another episode, but um, poison ivy put me in the hospital twice and both were on camping trips. Oh, there you go. I'm very allergic to poison ivy. Hey, there's another tip. Know where you're camping in the surroundings and know what's poisonous and what's not poisonous. Well, one of those, we were sneaking up to the back of tents um, that were not terribly far from where we were camping because there were girls from a church group paddling through the area. And at that point of our lives, we wanted to talk to girls. You had to be there. Absolutely. So hiding out behind the tents and turns out we were hiding out in patches of poison ivy. (laughs) Well, here we go. So they ended up having to ship me out, got down to Brainerd to the hospital there. There's something called PI, which stands for poison ivy of the eye. So it gets into your blood system. So I was all geeked up because I was going to have a hot nurse have to give me shots and do this whole thing. So I'm kind of looking forward to it. And I remember I had these cheap Ray-Ban wannabe sunglasses that I was wearing because my eyes were puffed closed. So I thought I could still look cool and people wouldn't know (laughs) that I was just (laughs) torn to shreds. Go in the nurse Remember Radar from MASH? It's a little before my time, but yeah. Yeah, it looked exactly (laughs) like Radar. So I'm looking at this guy. He's like, yeah, drop your pants. We're going to start giving you shots. And it just don't sit in the poison ivy. That's that's good advice. That's solid advice. And the second time we were burning wood that had, at least this is what the doctors think, had remnants of poison ivy on it. And as that oil burns and that smoke, same deal, pie got into my eyes, into my system. And oh, that's all right. I'm gonna crazy, look right. I'm, like, I'm gonna I, be a paranoid I, now of poison ivy I, in my eyes. I still get poison ivy periodically, but not like then. So, anyhow, um, we're out of time. I'll save the bear stories for another time, but I was gonna talk about a time we camped on Kodiak Island along the Sultry Cove River with the grizzlies. No bueno. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all I got to say about that. That's perfect. I can't wait to hear it. Um, A challenge to the listeners today. If you have a favorite spot, you don't have to give away secrets, but I want to hear about it. Or you've got good advice for finding spots. Give me a buzz. That's how new friendships are struck up. And that's how we find Minnesota bound stories. So, or if you have questions about where to find spots camp, please, please just give me a buzz. Bill at mnbound.com, short for Minnesota Bound. Love to hear from you. Um, maybe if we hear from enough folks, we'll have a giveaway, free sleeping bag or something like that. Yeah, and I'll go camping on some cool private land. Or, you know what, <laughs> I'm going to do it right now. 
if we get feedback from this podcast and somebody writes with a favorite camping area, the first person to do so, I will send a brand new Swiss Army knife to them. In honor of you. How's that, is, that sound? That's, that's the greatest giveaway known to man. That's perfect. All right. Let's see if it actually happens. I wonder if anyone ever listens to us. <laughs> uh, before I leave you, I, I want to just put this in your head. I'm very sentimental about camping, being outdoors and off the grid. And on one of my trips, I was listening to it's one of my favorite artists now, a guy by the name of Greg Brown. He's got this song called Eugene. He's the guy with the big Adam's apple, the deep voice. And his camping list goes like this. I take along my Gibson JF-45, made by women during World War II. Coffee-stained stack of maps. A little propane stove. A pile of old quilts. A can opener. Kipper snacks. Smoked oysters gunpowder tea, a copper teapot, and a good sharp knife. Sometimes you have to go look for your life. That's what it's about for me. Thanks for being along today, Swiss Army. Thanks for having me. All right. Again, you've been listening to the Minnesota Bound Podcast. I'm Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. We have so many great partners who uh, make these episodes happen. Of course, the podcast presented by Connecticut Water Treatment Systems. My family uses Connecticut. You should, too. I'd also like to welcome our newest partner, the Minnesota Historical Society. Also, Oreo and Ritz, some of our favorite family snacks in the woods. A big thanks to Hewitt Docks. Also, Star Bank, the bank we use at Ron Share Productions. And finally, the Minnesota Propane Association. Get out there, go camping, find a new spot. And until next week, don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. <laughs>